You know, it'd be ridiculous if you were going to invite some important person over your house and and this is what they found when they got there. The grass really hadn't been mowed in a few weeks. They had to kick Coke cans, hopefully Coke cans, or Diet Coke cans off your sidewalk to get up to the porch. When they got there, they found out you weren't quite ready for them, but they let themselves in anyway. They came and were going to have, have dinner with you. You find out that uh, the dinner that you're going to serve them is three-day-old leftover lasagna and a bag of salad that you got from Ingalls because it had just expired the day before. Dessert rolls around, and, 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 you, and you serve last weekend's leftover cupcakes from your niece's birthday party for dessert. When you all sit around to talk, the TV's up too loud. You can't even hear the communication. And then when it's all said and done, you as a host turn to your important guests and say, listen, will you let yourself out when you're ready to go? I'm going to bed. Now, we wouldn't treat an important guest like that. We wouldn't even treat an unimportant guest, would we? Not like that. What I want us to be challenged with today, as we approach Malachi's words, is that sometimes we treat God worse then we treat important people in our lives. That he gets left, less respect and less honor from us than we give sometimes to even total strangers. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd speak to us through your word today. Let its power, let its power come to us. Let it transform us and change us in our hearts and in our minds that will lead automatically, Lord, to a change of action. Lord, we thank you for meeting us here today, for speaking to us today, for moving in us today, and for not leaving us as we were. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a look at this guy named Malachi. I'm not going to give you too many details about him, but there are a couple of things since we've kind of given some biography on the others. We don't know a lot about him. We do know that his name means my messenger. Malachi's name means my messenger, which is important not only because he was a messenger from God, but we can add to that part of his prophecy that we won't actually address that portion of it today, but part of his prophecy deals with the coming of John the Baptist, who would be the messenger to precede the coming of Jesus. And so his name is significant in that way. So what we've discovered all throughout the study of the minor prophets is even their names were part of their message. The second thing that we'll note is the date. We can date this probably 435 B.C. You notice that's a little bit of a jump from last week. We're coming up in years, getting closer to our time. Not a whole lot closer, but closer a little bit. And the reason this is significant is during this time of transition, you may remember the name of the governor who was brought to Judah after the exile or to Jerusalem after the exile. Anybody remember his name? Nobody starts with a Z. Zerubbabel. Yeah, one of those fun names. Zerubbabel. Well, we've advanced in a few years, and the, the Persian king has brought in another governor 
named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a governor. He went there, began to rebuild the walls and to basically make the city of Jerusalem a safe place to live once again. And then he was recalled for a short time. He eventually came back, but it's in this interim time. It's in this this time where there's now a Persian governor who's been appointed to take Nehemiah's place till he returns. It's in this time that God calls Malachi into ministry. Now, the circumstances in which this happens is the temple has been rebuilt, the altar is rebuilt, the worship is going on, the walls have been rebuilt to the city, commerce has started, a normalcy has started to, to come into the city now. It's, it's a safe place to live, a safe place to do business, a safe place to worship. And so there's some normalcy that is happening in Jerusalem at this time. But there's something going on underneath that's not so good. Because both the people and the leaders, the religious leaders, well, their hearts aren't quite right. And it's leading to mistreatment of one another. And as Malachi will show us, a dishonoring of God. And it's into this situation that once again, God raised up a prophet He would be the final prophet until John the Baptist came. And his purpose was to expose sin and to call people to repentance. He came to expose sin and to call people to repentance. Now Malachi begins his message in an interesting way. It says, an oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Look at this. He says, I have loved you says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Now, it might be for some of you guys, if you go home and you tell your wife, I love you, she looks at you and she goes, really? How have you loved me? And then, you know, if you were smart enough, you would start off going, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. And then you begin to to list them along, okay? And there's plenty, there's plenty to love about your wife, so you probably got a long list. But to say that to God, to say to God who just says, I love you, and then to respond to God, really? How have you loved me? I hadn't noticed. Where's the list? What have you done for me lately? There aren't many books of the Bible that begin by God just simply saying, I love you. And our natural response should be, God, I know you love me. I've seen how you've loved me. And I just want to let you know I love you too. Not to look at God and say, really? How do you love me? Where's the evidence? Where, where's the proof that you love me? But that's how this book starts. This is God's chosen people. And it's true. He judged them. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed. He sent them into exile. And God could have just wiped his hands of them, turned his back, walked away, and had nothing else to do with those people. But he didn't. God restored them. He brought them back. He put it on the heart of a Persian king 
to send these people back home and to give them the means by which to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the walls. This was provided for them. And here they are in the city, restored. The worship is going on. They've got roofs over their head. They've got food to eat. They've got clothing. They've got a place to worship. And they look at God and say, really, have you loved us? Where's the list? So Malachi goes on. A son honors his father, he says, and a servant his master. If I am father, where is the honor due me? If I am master, where is the respect to do me, says the Lord Almighty. If I'm father, if I'm master, that's what you call me. When you pray, you call me father. When you pray, you call me master. But where's the honor? Where's the respect? Would your father stand to be treated the way you're treating me? If you're a servant and you have a master and you were to treat the master that way, would that master look kindly upon you? It doesn't make sense. Now, I can imagine the priests at this point, when they're hearing Malachi's prophecy, the priests are starting to go, Amen, brother. You preach it. We've been, we've been telling these hard-headed people they needed to straighten up and fly right all these days. We've been telling them how out of whack they are and how they need to get on with God's program. And then Malachi, you can almost see him turn a finger to the priest and to point directly at them. And he says, it is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask how we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to the governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you, says the Lord. And then we're going to skip down a few verses. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock, and he vows to give it but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. It wasn't just that there was bruising on the outside. What Malachi is saying here is, this apple is rotten at its core. You priests wonder why the people won't get in line? Take a look at your own lives. You religious leaders, take a look at the way you live. You are the key. One of the things that I learned very early on in seminary is that a church will never be any more spiritual than its leaders. The priest had been entrusted with the word of God and with the flock of God. And they were dishonoring both, showing even contempt for the Lord. And to top it off, they're surprised that God won't bless them in return. Deuteronomy 15, 21, very clear what type of offerings were acceptable. If an animal has a defect, is lame or blind or has any serious flaw, 
you must not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. And yet the priest would accept and sacrifice anything. There is, uh, we don't know the circumstances here. Were there bribes involved? Were the priests taking the good animal that was given, swapping it over, taking something out of their own herd, out of their own flock that was less acceptable, putting that on the altar instead? We may not know the specifics, but we know by these actions that their hearts weren't right. And we know that because their actions weren't right. And Malachi basically says, listen, why don't you, why don't you go up to the governor's house and, and bring him one of those lambs that you've sacrificed on the altar recently. Go grab him one of those blind lambs. Go, go get one of those lambs that's crippled. And you just trot that up there to the, to the governor's house and say, Governor, I have a gift for you. And place that lamb before him. What's the governor going to do? He's going to slam the door in your face. He'll, he'll severely reprimand you. He's going to punish you for bringing a lamb like that in his presence. And yet, you are willing to give that to God. You're willing to sacrifice that on the altar. You're willing to call that acceptable. And when you do, it defiles the altar. The priest and the people treated that which was holy as common. They were disregarding and treating the Lord. Not just the things of the Lord, but the Lord himself with disrespect. And then they were coming and somehow surprised that God wouldn't bless them. Verse 10 says this, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offerings from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled, and of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord. Here's what Malachi is saying. Is there not one priest left with enough integrity to shut this circus down? Is there not one priest left who has enough honor that he will simply close the temple doors, call it what it is, a sham, And say no more. We're not playing this game anymore. You see, the people deserved judgment. They deserved it. They deserved to still be sitting in exile. But God had been merciful. He had brought them back less than 100 years earlier in 538 B.C. He had brought them back. He had shown them grace. He had shown them mercy. But in less than a century, the worship of the Lord had become a burden to them. You know, I look at this, and the first thing I ask is, how in the world could people who had been shown so much mercy and so much grace by God, how in the world could serving Him and worshiping Him have been a burden to them? And then I think... We're not far removed from them. You and I have been blessed beyond measure. 
The fact that you were born in the United States should be enough for you to get up every morning and praise God from whom all blessings flow. You could have been born somewhere else. The fact that you had food to eat and clothes, clean clothes to put on your back this morning should be enough for you to thank God every single morning. The fact that you had some way to get here this morning, a lot of people didn't. The fact that Jesus died for you on a cross, that should have each and every one of us not going, do we have to go to church again this week? But instead going, wow, I wish 1030 would hear him get here. I, why don't, let, let's, go, let's just sit in the parking lot and wait till it opens. Do you know people do that at Disney World? They're so excited to get to, to see a mouse. And yet we have the privilege of worshiping the God of the universe, coming together with people of like mind, like heart, like faith, coming together to worship the God of the universe. And for us, it's a burden. You see, we're not too far removed. Let's look at one more section of Malachi. If you have, just flip over to chapter 3, if you don't mind. We'll take just a few moments in chapter 3 because uh, the entire book is worth your reading. It's only four chapters. You can do it this afternoon. Chapter 3, verse 6. We want to pick up right there. He says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. In other words, I'm merciful, and that's why you're still here. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from the decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? God had kept his end of the covenant. The people and the leaders, not so much. The Lord remained faithful to his chosen people, but they had not remained faithful to him. God was calling them to return, but here's the sad thing. They didn't even know where to start. They had no clue as to where to begin to turn back to him. And so Malachi gives them a starting point. Let's pick up where we stopped. Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit says the Lord Almighty, then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Jesus put it this way, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How we use our money and resources is a barometer for our heart. What we do with what God has entrusted to us shows what we value. If we value money and possessions more than God, it's noticeable. Look at your checkbook. Look at your credit card statement. Look at how you spend your time during the week. And here's God's stance. Here's the starting point. Everything is mine. You are mine. Everything you have is mine. All right, that's the starting point. I deserve 100% of that, God says. But because God is gracious, merciful, he says, listen, guys, I understand you need to eat. You need clothing. You need a place to live. And so 90% of what is mine 
I entrust to you. Use it. Use it for food. Use it for clothing. Use it for housing. Use it for entertainment. Use it for your car. Use it for whatever you need. 90% you keep that. It's all mine. See, that, that's our problem is we start by saying, okay, it's all mine, not all God's. It's all mine, and therefore anything I give to God, he ought to be appreciative for it. Instead of starting by saying it's all God's, and anything he allows me to keep, I ought to be appreciative for it. So God says, you keep 90% for your needs, but I want you to give to me what is rightly mine. And, and at this point, it's a tithe, which is, is 10%. But you ask, why in the world would Micah start here with all the problems these people have? Why does Michael start with, Malachi, excuse me, start with money? Why with our wallets? Why with our bank accounts? Because more often than not, the priorities of our money expose our heart. One more thing. You said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper. And even those who challenge God escape. Very simply, the people are responding, what's in it for me? That's where their heart is. What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? They look around and they go, you know, life's not fair. There are people who are getting more than they deserve. What's in it for me? Where's my share? Rather than looking at the blessings they have, they look at what other people have got. And somehow they feel cheated. The issue is this. Arrogance and self-sufficiency. That's where the people were. They had gotten to a point of safety and security. They had gotten to a point of reasonable prosperity, and they had become arrogant and self-sufficient. They had gotten to a point where they felt like, you know what? When we were over there, we needed God. But now that we're here, we got it. We don't need him anymore. But do you remember I said that there always is a righteous remnant well, there was one in Jerusalem, too. In spite of all of this, there was a righteous remnant in Jerusalem. And God addresses that. He speaks to that. In verse 26, Then those who feared the Lord, after hearing the words of Malachi, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. And the day that I will make up my treasured possession, I will spare them just as I'm in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. He separated, said, these are mine. These whose hearts are right and therefore they're living in a way that pleases me. They're mine. As Joshua put it so many years prior, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, there's a lot here, more than we could ever cover, but I want to kind of put a bow on this. And How do these ancient words speak to us today? What, what can we take home from this? There's a lot, but I'll try to condense it down very quickly. First of all, God deserves to be treated as God. 
God deserves to be treated as God. You're going to figure out the application for your own life on that one. You know the ways in which you treat God with dishonor and disrespect. I know the ways I treat him with dishonor and disrespect. Let God be God and treat him as such. Secondly, spiritual leaders are responsible to share God's truth without compromise and set an example for God's people. That's not just the pastor. That's you elders. That's you deacons. That's you grace group facilitators. That's you team leaders. Hold unswervingly to God's truth and be an example. Third, how we use our, use our money reflects our priorities. How we use our money reflects our priorities. Fourth, arrogance and self-sufficiency are enemies of intimacy with God. If you want to be near to the presence and the heart of God, Pride was going to get in the way. Self-sufficiency is going to get in the way. We need to be humble, dependent kinds of people. And then finally, a believer must choose to live a life submitted to the Lord. Every single morning, it's a choice. Have your way, God. I'm not out to have my way. Have your way, God. Be blessed by me this day. May my life reflect your heart in all that I do and in all that I say. Well, as we've come to the end of this, these minor prophets, to the end of the Old Testament, I pray that some of the things that God has spoken, these ancient words from long ago, have found a home in your hearts. And if somehow God's word has been used to change your life.